Tonight on The Readout. Can you envision a scenario where Trump manages to win back the White House and justice is delayed? I could. I don't, I don't want to, but I could. I mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has dragged this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention. Former FBI Director Jim Comey describing a very real scenario as Trump lawyers meet with the DOJ and with the grand jury in the classified documents case set to meet this week. Also, if Trump is indicted, what are the national security ramifications when Trump inevitably asks his MAGA faithful to avenge him? Also tonight, A.J. Owens was a loving mother of four. Friday night, she was shot dead in Ocala, Florida. The sheriff calls it a neighborhood feud. But the family says it was a completely unjustified shooting and they are demanding justice. Members of the Owens family join me tonight for their first interview. But we begin the readout tonight with what could prove to be a consequential week in the special counsel's investigation into Donald Trump's mishandling of classified documents. It started out with members of Trump's legal team meeting with Justice Department officials for nearly two hours at DOJ headquarters in Washington this morning. The Wall Street Journal reports that Trump's lawyers were trying to persuade DOJ officials against bringing criminal charges against their client, according to people familiar with the matter. And while Trump's legal team last month requested a meeting with Attorney General Merrick Garland over what they called the ongoing injustice that is being perpetrated by the special counsel, we're told neither Garland nor Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco attended today's meeting. But sitting down with Trump's lawyers was special counsel Jack Smith. The timing is very interesting, as NBC News has learned that the grand jury hearing evidence in this case is expected to meet later this week, following a weeks-long hiatus, according to multiple people familiar with the investigation. That meeting could be to hear new evidence or witness testimony or to vote on potential charges. It is the latest sign that special counsel Jack Smith could be closing in on a decision about whether or not to seek an indictment. If Trump were to be indicted, it would be the first time a former president has been charged with a federal crime. Trump already holds the dubious distinction of being the only former president to be charged with a state crime related to the hush money payments made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. And you will be shocked, shocked to learn that the twice impeached former president isn't too thrilled about adding this to his roster of firsts. Just 25 minutes after his lawyers left Justice Department headquarters, Trump posted one of his signature all-cap social media posts claiming, how can DOJ possibly charge me who did nothing wrong? He then went on to deflect attention to other presidents and to other, to former candidates, and he closes by calling it uh, the greatest witch hunt of all time. Tip your waiters. And while Trump wants to maintain his witch hunt narrative, about the very by-the-books investigation. It hasn't stopped federal prosecutors from collecting real evidence that appears to implicate Trump in federal crimes. So what would actually happen if a former president were to be indicted for one or more federal crimes? Joining me now to discuss is Renato Mariotti, former federal prosecutor and co-host of the It's Complicated podcast, Jill Wine-Banks, who served as an assistant Watergate special prosecutor. She's co-host of the Sisters-in-Law and iGen podcasts. And Katie Benner, reporter for the New York Times and MSNBC contributor. Thank you all for being here. I want to start just by reading. Well, and you know what? Let me not start for reading the New York Times reporting. I do want to go to you, Renato, really quickly, because the meeting itself, <laughs> um, 
I, I just listening all day to all of you brilliant former special pro, uh, former federal prosecutors tells me that the meeting itself is evidence potentially of a potential indictment. Is that right? That's right. Uh, this sort of meeting is usually occurs very late in the process, Joy, uh, often if not days, a week or two before an indictment. The defense is given an opportunity to try to persuade prosecutors not to invite. Typically, a supervisor is there, in this case, Jack Smith, and the defense lays out their potential arguments. And it helps, frankly, uh, the prosecutors understand in advance what the defense arguments are going to be, perhaps tweak their case in response to them. And occasionally, pretty rarely, uh, they can convince the uh, prosecutors not to charge. I wouldn't hold my breath here. And so, so there, it, it, you cannot read the meeting and Jack Smith being in the meeting as they're just meeting with Trump to allay his fears, right? We should consider this to be the stage before indictment. That's right. I, I would expect uh, an indictment uh, within the next uh, you know, few weeks at this point. I don't think it'll be in the next couple of days, but may probably next yeah. week or the week after. OK, uh, let me now just read a little bit from this New York Times reporting. Um, this is from The New York Times. Trump lawyer Evan Corcoran. Uh, my God, there are tapes. What is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, golly gee, there are tapes. I can't remember what the exact quote was. Um, Lordy, there are tapes is the, is the quote. Lordy, there are tapes. So l- lawyer Evan Corcoran, this is Trump's lawyer. He apparently, I don't know if he was trying to write a book or he was recording things because of a future memoir he wanted to write, but he apparently took very detailed notes and narrated those notes into a tape recorder. And his narration, which now could become a part of this inquiry, Mr. Corcoran's narration of his recollection, rec- recollections covered his initial meeting with Mr. Trump in May of last year to discuss a subpoena from the Justice Department seeking the return of all classified materials in the former president's possession, the people said. It also encompany, uh, encompassed a search that Mr. Corcoran undertook last June in response to the subpoena for any relevant records being kept at Mar-a-Lago. After pleasantries, according to a description of the recorded notes, Mr. Trump asked Mr. Corcoran if he had to comply with the subpoena. Mr. Corcoran told him, yeah, man, you do. Jill Weinbanks, the fact that the attorney-client privilege was pierced in this case already because of the crime fraud exception, which are uh, watching the show, you've seen a lot of the smart prosecutors explain, if it's a commission of a crime, you don't get to use the, he's my lawyer, he can't talk. What do you make of the fact that, Lordy, there are tapes of him telling Trump, you can't keep the stuff, you got to give it back, and this is at the stage where he's about to get his house searched? This is, again, an accumulation of evidence mounting to the point where I can't see how you can avoid an indictment. It has to go to trial. It has to be seen by a jury. You have a situation where you have the president on tape, we think. uh, You know, I haven't heard the tape, but based on the reporting, there's a tape where he is saying, I have a classified document, so I can't show it to you, which means he knows, A, that he has classified documents, and B, that he can't show them to anybody and that he hasn't declassified them. You have his lawyer saying, you have to turn over everything that has been subpoenaed. And the subpoena was very broad. It encompassed all classified documents and, I should point out, all non-classified presidential papers that are also uh, the possession of the people of the government, not of Donald Trump. So this shows his knowledge, his intent in keeping it. And then you have the fact that this is supposedly a document that is to rebut 
General Miley and to show that he was right, he, Donald Trump, was right about the Iran situation. That's really serious. That means it's at a classification level that is guaranteed to hurt the government and our security if the information is released. And we hear the rustling of papers. We don't know. It could be he's just holding up a piece of paper. It could be that he's right. lying and the paper he's discussing isn't about Iran. We don't know. But isn't it a shame that we have a former president of the United States where we can't tell whether his best defense is I was lying and we would believe him because he lies so often or whether it's actual proof that he did it. It also undercuts any defense he had about it being, well, I didn't know that I couldn't keep these. I didn't know that I couldn't declassify them. And I did declassify yeah. them. So everything I had was declassified. This shows that that isn't true. So it really is damaging and compelling evidence that any jury, even a jury of Trump supporters, would be compelled to vote guilty on. Uh, let, let, let's go to, well, Andrew Weissman, the uh, wonderful and also brilliant Andrew Weissman. We have so many great uh, attorney friends to talk to on this network. Let me list, uh, play him on the great uh, Nicole Wallace's show earlier today um, talking about this case. There's no question, I think, that from everything we've heard, that Florida would be a place where all of the charges could be brought. And D.C., it's not clear that in Washington, D.C., all of the charges could be brought, but I think some of them could be brought there. The other possibility is that the reason we're hearing about a Florida grand jury is that it's not so much with respect to Donald Trump, but it may be with respect to other people. To which I said, Florida, <laughs> as I was listening uh, to the show on SiriusXM earlier today. Let me read this New York Times reporting, um, and it says the following. Prosecutors are expected to question a new witness in front of a federal grand jury sitting in Florida later this week. According to people familiar with the matter, at least one other witness has already appeared before the Florida grand jury, which is separate from the one that has been sitting for months in Washington. It is not clear why a second grand jury is taking testimony in Florida. Katie Benner, I am today old. Uh, maybe I have not. If there's such a blizzard of information, I somehow must have missed that there was a Florida grand jury. So now there are two grand juries. And it's possible, as Andrew Weiss was, was explaining, you know, the alleged crime of keeping the documents took place in Florida. Ipso facto, Florida could be a factor. Please explain this Florida grand jury. Oh, I think you're muted. I yeah, you're on, you're on mute, uh, Katie. Apologies for that. It's, My dog there, was there we go. earlier. So, you know, you're completely <laughs> right. There, there was, a, you know, there is a case that if you're going to charge obstruction, you would want to do it in Florida. It's where Donald Trump was sitting. He was at Mar-a-Lago. It's where the documents were found. It's where he was having discussions with people like his lawyers about potentially obstructing the investigation. So that would squarely be in Florida. And this wouldn't be the first time the Justice Department has brought criminal charges against one person in two different venues. For example, we saw with Paul Manafort, a case that Andrew Weissman would know better than pretty much anybody, that they charged Manafort both in Virginia and in Washington, D.C. And here you could see charges happen in two different venues. A person who's going to play a really key role in the decision of where to bring charges, or at least whose office or representative from their office would play a key role, would be the Solicitor General's office. This is somebody who is an expert in looking at whether or not the Justice Department could get fouled up on appeal if somebody can bring a credible accusation that they were basically monkeying around and trying to shop the case to the most sympathetic jury. It's something that you really don't want to do. 
in something this sensitive. And it's something that the Justice Department would be guarding against. They don't want to lose because it looks like they were doing something wrong. They want to be as by the book as possible. So again, if you yeah. look at where these obstructive acts happened, it makes sense that a Florida grand jury would be looking at some of these materials. One other quick question. I think we're all just reading tea leaves at this point, Renato. Mike Pence was recently very quietly cleared by the Justice Department for the possession of classified documents. He then subsequently announced he is going to file, he's filed to run for president. Should, is that significant that they have cleared th- that case out of the way? Does that mean anything? I, I think it is It is in a separate course, Joy. But I think one thing it's going to do is it's certainly going to help with this comparison that Trump's trying to do conflating the Pence case, the Biden case, Hillary Clinton, anything he can where the word classified documents is concluded. He's trying to conflate that with this. You know, even sometimes you use the word mishandling. Here, that that's not a really good label for this case where there's obstruction and there's willful retention of evidence. So I think uh, it's really, uh, I think, a good comparison. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the Republican primary. Last question goes to you, Jill Weinbanks. This has kind of almost happened before. Richard Nixon, um, you uh, all, I know that people cannot believe you you look too young to have even been alive during the Nixon situation, but you were a young prosecutor at the time, young and cute. Um, You guys would have indicted him. What would you have indicted him for? How would that have played out for that former president had it gone through? If it had gone through, he would have been convicted in the same way that if he hadn't resigned, he would have been convicted by the Senate on the charges of impeachment. We would have indicted him for obstruction of justice, would have been a um, main charge against him. Many people on my team wanted to indict him while he was a sitting president. And I tried again to convince Leon Jaworski after he was out of office after he resigned and before he was pardoned, he was just a former president. There is nothing. I, I think the Office of Legal Counsel opinion is wrong and should be changed that you can indict a sitting president, but there's nothing, nothing that says you can't indict a former president for a crime right. committed in his office. What is your pin? Gotta know. <laughs> of justice. It is a Department of Justice pin, and that's because of the meeting today. Renato Mariotti, Jill Weinbanks with her uh, amazing pins, uh, and the great Katie Benner. Thank you all very much. Up next on The Readout, the national security implications of a possible Trump indictment. How will his gun-loving cult-like followers react in the streets and on Capitol Hill? The Readout continues after this. Donald Trump is unsurprisingly decompensating over his attorney's meeting with Justice Department officials over the investigation into his mishandling of classified documents. With his social media rant asking, how can the DOJ charge me on his truth social echo chamber? His meltdowns are so predictable at this point, they'd be hilarious if we hadn't seen what his supporters are capable of. In an interview last September, Trump offered this warning about what might happen if he was indicted over classified documents. I think if it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. What kind of problems, Mr. President? I think they'd have big problems, big problems. (laughs) In that interview, Trump also claimed that being indicted would not stop him from running for president again in 2024 and followed this warning from Senator Lindsey Graham. 
If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. What, no tears? Trump was so fond of Lindsay's suggestion, he injected it on social media right into the veins of his biggest fans, which, as we all saw, is a recipe for disaster. When we all saw play out on January 6th, after he summoned a mob of his political violence supporting followers to lay siege to the U.S. Capitol with his be there will be wild tweet. In shades of January 6th, Trump similarly tried to rile up his supporters ahead of his indictment in Manhattan in the hush money payment scheme, calling for protests to take our nation back and warning of death and destruction if he were to be charged. Now, there was no violence following his indictment on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in New York. But with candidate Trump now out on the trail, it could only be a matter of time before he uses it as a bullhorn to spew that kind of call for violence. Joining me now is Frank Figluzzi, former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence and MSNBC national security analyst. So great uh, to talk with you, Frank. The thing is, on the one hand, there has been a lesson learned by Trump supporters who are prone to violence in all of these indictments for seditious conspiracy of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. On the and, and also regular schmucks who are now spending time in jail and their lives have been destroyed. On the other hand, we've seen the power of his rhetoric. How concerned should we be that if Trump is indicted, particularly by the feds, that we might see MAGA violence? Yeah, there, this is a good news, bad news situation. As you said, there's no question we're seeing that the uh, thousand, literally 1,000 arrests so far with regard to January 6th and leadership of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys convicted of seditious conspiracy, we're seeing that that's had a chilling effect. And we see that in chat rooms. We see we see extremists, violent extremists saying, hey, I don't want to get arrested. Uh, this could be a setup. I'm not going. So that's good news. The not so good news is that Trump has already started to show us where he's going with this. He's already right. done a several posts on, on his own social media, right, where he's saying, hey, um, I'm a victim. Uh, they're not charging Biden. No, they're not going to charge Pence. They're, they're charging only me and, you know, yada, 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 I'm a victim. The concern for law enforcement right now, Joy, is the lone offender. They're already over all over Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, to the extent they can, right? Because domestic terrorism law doesn't exist in the United States. But it's the lone offender that they can't control, they can't get out in front of that concerns them with regard to inciting rhetoric by Trump, by Marjorie Taylor Greene, you name the far right extremists. That's the concern. Yeah. And you named Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene because she is, you know, not so great on the, I don't know, being a congresswoman uh, part of her um, life, but she is really good at propaganda and uh, disinformation. She was on the Twitters, uh, on far right wing Twitter this weekend, tweeting a whole thread accusing, she said, this group, I, I want an investigation to who these people are. And they are the Patriot Front. That this, this group, like the Patriot Front group that marches in D.C., looks like a Fed operation trying to create racism, white supremacy, and racial division where none exists. Take your mask off, you cowards. And she goes through and tries to sort of reinforce her point that she's claiming that the Patriot Front and other white supremacist groups who are, are, are exactly what we see uh, when we see them marching around, that they are Feds. We've already seen FBI and other law enforcement targeted by MAGA people. If she somehow convinces people that the feds, the same people indicting Trump, are also fake uh, white supremacists, then how dangerous is that? 
Indeed, my most recent column that I wrote for MSNBC Daily addresses this very topic, which is the false flag, the constant claims now in unison, like it's a strategy that any hate-based crime, any hate-based group is somehow staged or comp comprised of federal agents. There's a strategy here, Joy, and it, it's going to allow them, if and when Trump is indicted, to say, look, we told you the federal government makes stuff up and they've made up these charges against our guy, Trump. So don't believe a word. And again, the concern, as you said, we've already had a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, who tried to shoot up the reception area of the FBI field office there, who ended up dead uh, in a cornfield in Ohio. That That's the concern. And don't forget, the focus will be on the FBI. It will be an FBI agent, if Trump's indicted, who tells the former president, right. I have a warrant for your arrest. It will be an FBI agent who reads him his Miranda rights. That's going to be the focus of their ire, and it's a concern. And I want to play this. Let me just play a little bit. This is from the January 6th hearings. This is some of the Oath Keepers on their walkie-talkies talking about harming members of Congress. Here it is. CNN just said that they evacuated all members of Congress into a safety room. There's no safe place in the United States for any of these right now. Trump just tweeted, please support our Capitol Police. They are on our side. Do not harm them. That's saying a lot by what he didn't say. He didn't say not to do anything to the congressman. <laughs> Well, this gives me two concerns. Number one is the way in which MAGA people have made being his followers their identity. This isn't just a political proclivity. It's their identity. And the second being that they feel in their mind that they're taking direction from him. So even though they didn't show up in New York, an indictment by the feds is a whole different thing because the thing you just talked about, the conspiracy theories, everything else gets combined. Your thoughts? Yeah, right. The the Manhattan DA thing is about hush money and it, the allegation had to do with prior to him being president. This is gets closer and closer to Trump's presidency. And ultimately, there's a grand jury sitting, as we know, about January 6th and Trump also that we haven't heard from. So this is going to get dicey. And the other thing, Joy, that we haven't even talked about with regard to national security and a Trump indictment is the foreign element here. I fully yeah. expect our adversaries, specifically Russia, to come out in force on social media and start using the rhetoric that Trump and others are using to incite people, pit them against each other. We're, we're really going to see a free for all on social media. And I don't think social media is equipped to deal with it. At, at Twitter, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Elon Twitter definitely is not ready for that. It's just going to be horrific. Frank Figluzzi, thank you very much. Coming up, a Florida woman is shot and killed through a door after a heated argument. And it looks like the alleged shooter may once again be protected by the state's infamous stand your ground law. Her mother, son and civil rights attorney Ben Crump join me next. Last Friday, around 9 p.m., Ajika A.J. Owens, a mother of four, was shot and killed by an unidentified woman in Ocala, Florida. According to civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who is now representing the Owens family, A.J.'s children, who are 3 to 12 years old, were playing in a field next to an apartment complex when a 58-year-old white woman allegedly began yelling at them to get off her land and calling them racial slurs. 
According to Crump's statement, the children left, but accidentally left behind an iPad, which the woman took. When one of the kids tried to retrieve it, the woman threw it, hitting the boy and cracking the screen. Ms. Owens walked across the street to speak to the woman. But Crump's office says when she knocked on the door, the neighbor allegedly shot her through the closed front door. The bullet hole is shown here in photos provided by Crump's law firm. Owens was shot and later pronounced dead at the hospital. The shooter responsible has not yet been identified, arrested, or charged. The family held an emotional news conference today to demand answers and, importantly, an arrest. The Marion County Sheriff's Office also held a press conference today. They did not confirm or deny Trump's account, but they did say they know who the shooter is. There had apparently been an ongoing feud between the shooter and Owens about her children. The sheriff also shared that when Owens came to the shooter's door, there was a heated exchange before Owens was shot through the door. At least two of the children may have witnessed the shooting. Joining me now in their first interview is Pamela Diaz, the mother of A.J. Owens, A.J.'s son, Isaac Williams, and Ben Crump, the attorney representing the family. Um, thank you all for being here. And um, I am so sorry for your loss. I've been sick about this all day, uh, to be honest, uh, since I heard about it this morning. Um, so I'm so sorry for your loss. But I want to just make sure that I got all of those details correct, uh, Ms. Diaz. Is there anything you want to correct about the way that I told the story? Thank you, Joy, for the opportunity to speak with you. I would like to say that, yes, there was an iPad left behind. My grandson, the daughter of Ashika, did go back to retrieve it. The woman, Susan, did have it. The white woman, Susan, had it, would not give it back to my grandson. An item was thrown at him. He went home to tell his mother, as any normal child would do. Yep. As a parent of any child hearing such news would go to the adult home to ask what happened. She simply knocked on the door. The woman shot her through the closed door with her son, nine years old, standing next to her. Let me ask My you about the. Yes. No, I'm sorry. My daughter, my daughter did, as I said, any parent would do. Want to talk to the adult to find out why she had his belongings, why she threw items at her child. She simply knocked on the door, was unarmed, no weapons, just wanted answers, wanted to speak to another adult regarding an incident involving her nine-year-old son who was standing yeah. next to her. And, and let me ask you about this because the sheriff has tried to portray this as a feud, but these, these are little kids, you know, these are, these are babies that are playing with what kids are supposed to do. Um, it, it is your understanding that this woman called the children racial slurs? Um, I'm assuming I know what racial slur that you mean. The N-word, slaves, other profanity, B-words, you name it. This was not the first incident. This has happened numerous times. Let me let me go to you, Ben, um, because I lived in Florida for a long time. I have had to 
knock on and ring the doorbells of neighbors for, you know, issues regarding our kids. That seems like the most normal thing that a mom would do. If there's ever a problem, our kids would come and get me or their dad, and we would go and talk to the neighbor. That is the normal world way the world is supposed to work. But now in Florida, you have stand your ground. And I can't imagine kids could trick or treat in Florida now because it's too terrifying because there are people who would shoot anybody that they see coming uh, at their door or on their driveway. How is it possible, though, that with the door closed, this woman can have access to the stand your ground law? How can you say you're standing your ground when there's a closed door between you and the woman, the mom standing outside your door with a nine year old child? Jareed, it is asinine when they try to justify this unjustifiable killing of this mother of four who was killed in front of her children. I mean, it is heartbreaking on every level. And the fact that they have not arrested this killer is appalling. We know, Attorney Thomas and I talked about, if the roles were reversed, there is no way they could tell us they would not have arrested a black woman from shooting a white woman through her door. She could have called 911. She could have did a hundred other things, Joy Reid, than to use deadly force. And it is unacceptable. And we can't send this message that it is okay in America to shoot black people for ringing doorbells like Ralph Yaw in Kansas City or now like A.J. Owens in Ocala, Florida. The wrong message, America. Ms. Diaz, tell me about your daughter. Tell me what she was like. My daughter was an amazing mom. She lived for her children. She was active. She was a a cheer mom. She was a football mom. She sent her children. She made sacrifices so that they could attend private school. She was a manager in the hospitality industry, the restaurant industry. Honestly, I, I don't even know how she did it. She is an amazing testament to all mothers in this world. Yeah. And Isaac, Um, sweetie, um, I I know you miss your mom, um, but she seemed like an amazing person. And you don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but she seemed like she was very cool. Um, And so I'm so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry. Um, Mom, what is going to happen with these beautiful children? I am going to be the primary caregiver for these children. Currently, I reside out of state. I am relocating to Ocala so that I can continue, the children can continue with a sense of normalcy so that they can be in their hometown amongst their friends, attend their same school, I just want them to have the life that their mother dreamed for them, that was trying to provide for them. Well, thank God for awesome moms, awesome grandmas like you, Pamela Diaz. God bless you. Um, Sweet Isaac, God bless you, um, sweetheart. And Ben, we are literally turning bullying into murder. And the state of Florida now allows unlicensed people to carry guns and turn caring and bullying and the bullying of children into murder. It is inconceivable to me 
that this is not a, is not immediately considered an arrestable crime. I'm disgusted, disgusted and sick about it and about my former uh, state where my children lived. Unbelievable. Um, please keep us up to date, Ben. Will you keep us up to date on what's happening? Absolutely. Let's say her name on the same day that Breonna Taylor yes. and Tyree Nichols would have been 30 years old had they not been taken from this earth unnecessarily. A.J. Owens, let's say her name. Amen. Amen. A.J. Owens, God bless her memory. Uh, Pamela Diaz, Isaac Williams, and Ben Krupp, thank you very much. We'll be right back. As many of you probably know, June is Pride Month, a national celebration of LGBTQ rights and culture born in the wake of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising. For all the trolls out there, this event does not come at the expense of other groups. In fact, it follows Military Appreciation Month. But amid the toxic MAGA politics of today, Pride Month has become a popular target for conservatives who are offended by the sight of rainbow flags and mentions of same-sex relationships. Deranged TikTokers have even taken their pride protests to Target, claiming that the store is attempting to indoctrinate children and sell Satanism. I guess they didn't care that much until literally now, because these messages of inclusivity have been around in corporate America for years. But now, now that they've discovered the terror of rainbows, Republicans have fully committed to the bit, whipping up fear and anger among their base and passing a slew of laws targeting the LGBTQ community. Things are so heated out there right now, a few cities are scaling back their pride-related events amid threats of violence. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee signed a first-in-the-nation ban on drag shows, though in a sign of just how performative and unconstitutional these laws truly are, a Trump-appointed judge ruled that the law was both unconstitutionally vague and substantially overbroad and encouraged discriminatory enforcement. While anti-LGBTQ rhetoric is popular on Fox and TikTok, a recent Gallup poll shows that support for same-sex marriage is at a whopping 71%. That's not stopping Republican governors from targeting the community even more viciously, though, while ignoring the scourge of gun violence in America. On Friday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law a bill that bars transgender kids from getting puberty blockers and hormone therapies. Texas happens to be home to one of the largest trans communities in the U.S. A recent law in Florida bans gender-affirming care for minors and makes it even harder for adults to seek care. They now have to sign a consent form and have a doctor oversee their health care in person. And before you say, yeah, well, that sounds fairly normal. Prior to the law, many trans patients received care from nurse practitioners and used telehealth. But cruelty is the point with a political benefit. And Nikki Haley, the latest Scooby-Doo villain on the right, is giving away the whole game in her quixotic quest for the vice presidency. Oops, sorry, I mean the presidency. That's next. The idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports, it is the women's issue of our time. My daughter ran track in high school. I don't even know how I would have that conversation with her. How are we supposed to get our girls used to the fact that biological boys are in their locker rooms? And then we wonder why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year? The women's issue of our time. 
Okay, that was a deeply dangerous, entirely false statement from one of the Republican candidates for president, Nikki Haley. I mean, first of all, there's absolutely zero evidence that kids playing in or using the bathroom of the gender that they identify, or playing in sports or using the bathroom of the gender they identify with is responsible for a rise in, you know, teenage girls contemplating suicide. As the founder of Columbia Clinic for Anxiety pointed out on Twitter, if Haley cared about kids, she'd state that surveys show teens are worried about violence and hate being perpetrated against their peers, about gun violence, climate and political unrest in the U.S. There hasn't been a pervasive mention of teenage girls anxious about sports or bathrooms. In fact, in 2021, there were about 42,000 children diagnosed with gender dysphoria, 42,000. That is a minuscule percentage of the 73 million children in America. And it's the LGBTQ plus population that Nikki Haley should be focused on if she's concerned about teenage suicide. A report from the Trevor Project found that 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. But beyond how offensive that statement was, it was a glaring, it has a glaring political purpose. Saying that this is the most pressing issue for women allows Republicans to sidestep the huge problem that they have with how Americans feel about their seizure of women's bodily autonomy by banning abortion. Joining me now is Kelly Robinson, president of the Human Rights Campaign. And thank you for being here, Kelly. Welcome back. The re- one of the many reasons we wanted to have you back on is your old job used to be with Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood Action Fund. So you've literally been at the cross-section of the two things that we want to talk about. I wrote down two words as I was coming in, in the commercial break before this, deflection and control. And I feel like those are the two things that are behind this Nikki Haley thing. Nikki Haley comes from a state that has a six-week abortion ban where you can get arrested and your doctor can get arrested for giving you, getting you an abortion. But she says the most important issue ain't that. It's trans girls in the track locker room. Your thoughts. You're exactly right. This is political theater and it's dangerous. I mean, what she's doing, spreading this type of horrific misinformation and lies about the trans community is going to lead to real life violence. This is why we're seeing one in five of every hate crime being targeted towards the LGBTQ plus community. This is why we see armed people at drag queen story hours and pediatricians having to get walk to their their cars by armed guards because of the culture of violence that they're creating. And I will say this, if she wanted to talk about the issues, she should have talked about the issues. Because if you look at her record in South Carolina, she hasn't done the job necessary to create the kind of vision where people can be safer. I mean, South Carolina is at the bottom of the list for education, for gun violence. These are the issues that people really care about. That is the crisis facing Americans. And if we want to talk about teenage girls, these are the same people who say that a 10-year-old girl ought to be forced to give birth. Let's go to my second thing, which is control. These are the people who say, putting a mask on my body, my body, my choice, you're destroying my liberty, but making me pass a baby out of my body, saying that you're going to tell me that my kid can't get this particular type of health care, that I as an adult can't get this particular type of health care, which is gender-affirming care, even if you don't like that people are getting gender-affirming care? How is that your business? When you said that someone coughing on you with COVID, that ain't your business. These people want to control people's literal bodies and then complain that a mask over their body is tyranny. Your thoughts? 
The hypocrisy and lies are just astounding at this point. It's coming from Nikki Haley, but it's coming from the whole Republican Party that's pandering to extremist MAGA voters, right? I mean, there's a reason that the same people banning gender-affirming care are the same ones behind the abortion bans. The same people banning LGBTQ plus studies in schools are the same ones banning Black history from being taught. They are launching an intersectional attack on all of our identities. And the goal, the goal is to keep people safe. The goal is power and control because they know that ultimately they are losing. They are out of step with the majority of Americans who support every one of the issues that we're talking about. And these are the people who want Twitter to be a bullyscape. They want Twitter to, to, to bully people more. Social media is what's making kids feel suicidal and feel insecure. Girls in locker rooms are worried about being bullied. They're worrying about being, you know, bullies in the school, not trans kids. Let me just do a couple of polls here. The KFF did a poll. Which party best represents your views on abortion? Democratic Party, 42 percent. Neither party, 32 percent. Republican Party down at 26 percent. Voters who would only vote for a candidate who shares their views on abortion, 30 percent of all voters, but 46 percent of Democratic voters and 35 percent of women voters. Support for gay marriage, high. Transgender people support, high. And the only place where Republicans are in a majority position, boom, on issues relating to trans girls playing sports. They're using this to, because you are a great intersectional guest, to distract from abortion because they didn't give a damn about this literally a year ago. That's exactly right. And they also know that they're losing on things like same-sex marriage. They are out of stuff and out of touch. And I think the biggest thing is that there are children watching right now. One in five of Gen Z identifies as a member of the LGBTQ community. Not only that, 70% of all people in the U.S. believe that trans people should be and must be protected from discrimination. This is a moral crisis for all of us. It is incumbent upon every person watching this play out to reject their lies, to reject their violent ideology and stand up for our kids. And by the way, what you said is so important. If it's 20.8% of Gen Z who identify as LGBTQ, you know what that means? They cannot access the group of voters. That's why they want to punish them. They are punishing the people. They can never get to vote for them because they can't stand them and don't relate to them. And they see that they're hateful and cruel. Kelly, that was me, not you. I will put that mean stuff on myself because I believe it. Uh, Kelly Robinson, thank you. And that is tonight's readout.